listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. You're listening to Drishti Point on Vancouver Cooperative Radio 100.5 FM. I'm your host, Leanna, and today's guest is John Scott. Our topic today is Ashtanga Yoga and opening the doors to a transformative practice. John is a world-renowned practitioner and teacher of Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. He was certified to teach by Sri K. Patavi Joes in 1994 and is the author of the best-selling book, Ashtanga Yoga. Welcome, John, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Diana. Um, first off, I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners how you came to the practice of yoga. I, I say I came, that, that yoga came to me. Mm. Um, I was in the proverbial gap, the gap between jobs and working out what I was to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And so I was uh, young, 28-year-old, traveling the world, and at that particular time traveling in Greece, and accidentally came upon um, the yoga. Mm -hmm. How did, um, what did that look like for you? How did you accidentally come upon yoga? I was working as a uh, domestic staff at a health and, fit- health and fitness um, center in Greece. It was, uh, um, and they, they did all sorts of things. They did early morning hum meditations, tai chi. Uh, there was windsurfing. There was paint your dreams, and of course there was there was yoga. There was a different yoga teacher. I was very interested in doing the windsurfing. <laughs> As a, as a New Zealander, I was very handy, and I was sort of on the domestic staff, doing a lot of maintenance work and building huts and, and being very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very interested in, in the Tai Chi at the time, having having done formal uh, martial arts as a um, design student many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I was drawn to the to the Tai Chi, but the Tai Chi teachers they went to meet Derek Island. And Derek Island was an English guy who, um, to me, I described as either, he was either a Tarzan or he, he was sort of like a Greek Adonis. And um, there he was doing his personal yoga practice and I was sort of captivated by what what I saw. And, and there was sort of a, a, a grace of movement and the sound of breath. And... It sort of was beautiful to watch this very strong physical Tarzan-type body do such graceful movement. Mm. And I could see that there was more than just the physical aspect, that he, he, he had an inner focus. And so I was drawn to that inner focus. And I could say that it was Derek's inner light. And so, so Derek actually shone the, the, the way for me and directed me to go to, to Mysore to study with Patabi Joyce. Wow, and what was studying with Patabi Joyce like? Um, it was a, a, a unique experience. I have to use the word awesome um, <laughs> because he was awe-inspiring. Um, he lived yoga. In the, in the yoga terms, he would be a true sat guru, and a sat guru is one that you can absolutely have faith and trust in. Mm-hmm. And he certainly guided you towards finding your own inner teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very disciplined, um, but he always welcomed you with a 
with a big loving smile. Uh, he was strict within his discipline. Uh, that was that kept you focused, but there was al- al- always a a joy in you doing well. Um, and he he was also very equanimous. He he um, he didn't have preferences or judgments. He would he he saw into you and was able to push a button for you to then see into yourself and meet yourself, which for some people and myself uh, can be pleasant and unpleasant at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you said that, um, you mentioned that you were doing design work before. What, what, um, how has this, uh, journey with yoga, um, changed or how, how did your career path change and how did, um, what was it like to go from Greece to go to, uh, Mysore and, and, um, what, what changed? Um, essentially, the essence didn't change. I knew that I wanted to to work with people. And so when I was a designer, I was working with people solving problems mm-hmm. uh, in a conceptual way. And it was a product that was um, solving the problem or meeting their needs. Um, and while while I was a design student, I regarded one of my design tutors, he was actually a German tutor uh, for 3D design, I regard him as one of my first yoga teachers really, because he introduced to um, to me the uh, the mantra of the Bauhaus movement, design movement, which was form follows function. Mm-hmm. And so I used that design principle very much with the, the body or the form of the body and the way the, bo- the body functions and how it moves. And its resultant form is governed by its limited range of function or its uh, improved range of function. So um, nothing has changed in, in terms of, of who I am in terms of how I see things, but who I'm working with has changed and, and how I'm working with people has changed in the sense that instead of there being an outside problem, it's about the, the problems we have as, as individuals and how can we then meet those problems and be resourced in finding equanimity in terms of um, the, the turbulence of life. So at the, the early stages of, of the practice, I was very much form-related. Um, now I'm very much more about the function and, and getting the functioning right. Um, and, and just recently, I've, I've been quoting in class, no matter how turbulent it is outside in your outside life, there's always stillness to be found on the inside. Mhm, mhm. And so, um, as a yoga teacher, that's what I feel my mission is: is to to um, pass to students information, techniques, and experiences, so that they then are able to resource themselves. Mhm. And that's kind of an interesting uh, segue into my next question. I know that. Um, Having children and, and being in a in a family sometimes can prove turbulent or pretty much anywhere in, in work environments outside of ourselves. So how how I know that you have um, children, how has that changed your practice? I was very fortunate that um, I was a, a late developer, mm. um, and I was 20 years, uh, 28 years when I began practicing yoga. Mm-hmm. I was still single, 
and therefore um, not having a responsible adult sort of uh, life, I was able to indulge in my study, um, spending all my savings traveling backwards and forwards to India. So while I was young and single, I managed to spend eight years with Patabi Joyce before um, I met my wife Lucy. Mm-hmm. And it was one year later that we became responsible parents. <laughs> so I was I was very well established in to my practice. And um, Patabi Joyce regards he regarded the, the the brahmacharya phase, the student phase of the 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 asana practice um, development to be ten years. And so I, I I basically did do my ten years asana before really becoming um, a householder. Mm-hmm. And so during the household phase, uh, what I had as my foundation was the strength and stamina that the practice had given me, the the stability that the practice had given me, um, and I was able to 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 gradually over the first few years start letting go the amount of time or quantitative type practice that I was doing. Um, and to switch to what I call, and what I've done now for the last um, 18 years, is a maintenance practice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I feel like a little bit like investment, banking investment, that the eight years, ten years that I initially did was putting, uh, was investing um, uh, health, strength, stamina. And I'm, I'm sort of um, living on the interest of that. Mm, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, because the thing with yoga asana is that yoga asana, unlike exercise, uh, exercise will leave you very quickly when you stop maintaining it. Mm-hmm. Where with yoga asana, if you've spent, like, as I did, um, 10 years really solidly studying the asanas, they, they don't disappear, you don't lose them. When you when you go onto a maintenance schedule, they're always there with you. The, the benefits of of the yoga asana stay with you. So, would you say then, for um, those who are not in the householder stage and they have the ability to invest in their practice now, from a from a investment point of view, it would be wise to invest that time into the practice while they can. Yes, I, I think it's it's best to, to I mean, in the correct order of the natural um, flow of life is to be a student, householder, uh, ambassador, then a renunciant. Uh, it, I think it's a very difficult challenge as a householder to actually begin and learn uh, the study of yoga uh, postures mm-hmm. while also being a responsible parent. You need to, to, to be able to indulge in study, you have to be selfish in a sense. Mm-hmm. And when you're a, when you, when, when, when you're, uh, single and not responsible to dependence, then it's not, not seen as being selfish. It's, it's about indulging in the right to study as, as a single person. But Fatabi Joyce, Guruji always used to regard, um, being a householder as the seventh series because once you become a householder what you really begin to learn is unconditional love and part of that is to be putting your practice not as number one importance in your life because if you're doing that then you're putting that 
before your children. Mm-hmm. And your main your main um, responsibility is the, the love and care and the guidance of your children. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, a, a, as a as a house, I mean, so I, I, I've been very lucky that I had that period of, of development of personal practice, then went to householder, and then while I was householding it, because I was one of the few at that stage in the West doing the practice, I started teaching, and so I've, got, I've now got 25 years worth of teaching behind me. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a different, there's a different uh, learning. You know those sayings, we teach those things we most need to learn ourselves. Yes. And, and I have learned so much about the yoga practice from both the personal practice experience but also the teaching of it and maintaining the family at the same time. So it brings it into the reality of, of real life that for me the yoga teaching and the practices work but at the same time it's something that I do and love and know that it resources me so much to be able to do all of those things. So it's, it's kind of an integration of the practice that you did before, but also an integration of what you're learning into your life as it is now. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to take a short music break, and we'll be right back with John Scott. Um, so, so thank you for listening up until now, and we'll be back in a couple minutes. Welcome back. You're listening to Drishti Point on Vancouver Cooperative Radio, 100.5 FM. I'm your host, Liana, and today's guest is John Scott, a world-renowned practitioner and teacher of Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, and he is also um, uh, teaching in Vancouver this coming weekend, a workshop called Opening the Doors to a Transformative Practice. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Leon. Nice to be talking to you this morning. I'm wondering... Um, I know that uh, a lot of um, yoga in the West now has kind of uh, veered away from traditional um, lineages. Well, not veered away, but there's there's a lot of variation in sequencing, and and it's kind of um, moved away from the roots, the tra- traditional sequences of yoga. I'm wondering if you could speak about. Um, the merits of of staying with um, uh, a lineage such as Ashtanga or uh, any of the traditional linea- lineages, and what's your take on how modern yoga has evolved? Oh, interesting question, Liana. Um, if I make a direct comparison to something like uh, aerobics or step, we would use the word fad. Mm-hmm. And even now today, maybe some of the new styles of yogas could be considered as, as fads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the thing about the yoga, and the, the, the longevity of yoga is that the yoga itself doesn't change. All of, all of the conditions around it and life changes. However, the core essence of the yoga stays relevant. Mm-hmm. So, Takabi Joyce was also very, very, very traditional. And if we 
if we contemplate the most common quotes from Patavi Joyce, um, one of the ones that really sticks in my mind is yoga is mind control. He would say yoga is not exercise. It's mind control. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, I'm not embarrassed to say, when I saw Derek practicing and this chap that looked like Tarzan, <laughs> and I thought, I want to look like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed to say that I was drawn in uh, by the, the physical beauty of body, but I was also drawn in by the sound of his breath, and I was also drawn in by the focus that you could see that he was deeply somewhere. So it's more than an exercise. It is about the integration of body, breath, and mind. And if we directly then flip to Patanjali uh, and understand what yoga is, yoga again is about mind control. It's, It's to be able to quieten the mind from all of the unnecessary, busy, busy, repetitive, conditioned thoughts that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not about stopping the mind or blanking the mind, it's bringing the mind to a sharp focus for it to then be an instrument. And over the years of the practice, what has changed in myself is the understanding that when I do sit for stillness and into that stillness, with the breath, the, the, the ordinary processing part of the mind, which is always governed by our senses, comes to a real fine uh, balance and still point, and within that still point, you can then use that saying that we colloquially use, meditate on. And for, for example, recently I've been doing a lot of meditating on the moon, just understanding the relationship of the moon the earth, and the sun. And if you, if you take yourself to a place where your mind is focused, then you go into this place of stillness and then you start to conceptualize or understand things in a way that you wouldn't understand in your normal, every, everyday, conditioned way of thought. Mm-hmm. And so, so the sayings that really are important to me from Patabi Joyce is that yoga is not exercise, it's a mind control. It's a breathing system, he says, and through breath control comes mind control. He then says that vinyasa is a counted method of breath control. And so quite simply, the technique, if you really were to, to reduce it down, reduce it down, reduce it down to get the essence, Patabi Joyce would say counted method. And basically, you're counting the breath. And so, what the, the physical asana has given me is it's given me the ability to find steadiness and stillness, to be able to sit comfortably, to drop into that stillness, and then in that stillness, to then begin to drop into a silence. Meaning that if we looked at Patanjali, Patanjali says that yoga is the stilling of the fluctuations of the con- the, the um, impressionable mind. Mm-hmm. And if we think of the, the young generation at the moment, it's all about the impressionable mind, how many likes you get on Facebook, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's so much stimulation out there. There's so much to draw one in an outward mind focus. 
And so, and I'm, as I said earlier, I wasn't embarrassed to say that my mind was drawn outwardly to the physical form of my first teacher, Derek. Mm-hmm. But, through, but through the classic practice of that system of yoga, it's turned the outward-seeking mind to an in, inward-seeking mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you think that... Um the sequencing of the asana is uh, an important part of uh, the ability to turn inwards and find the stillness. Do you think yes. that... If I, use, if I use the classic terms, mm-hmm. uh, within, within Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, there will be the colloquial terms or the everyday condition terms that we use, primary, intermediate, advanced or first series, second series, third series. Mm-hmm. And each series is ordered in a, in, in, in a particular order of postures. It's a little bit like collecting uh, certain sort of um, coins before you can move on to the next next part of the game that the kids play on, on their PlayStations and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those primary, intermediate, advanced, or first, second, third series are, are Western attempts to try and translate something that's much deeper. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the first series is actually called Yoga Chikitsa, which is the yoga therapy, and it's primarily about structural alignment, about synchronizing breath and body movement to move uh, toxins via the sweat from the muscles. Um, and this requires the development of a relationship between gravity and, the, and foundation and breath. Um, it's, the structural alignment is all about where the hands and feet go to support the spine and the final position of the head and the, the body has to be grounded and balanced in, in both the transitions and the postures uh, for the synchronicity of breath to develop mm-hmm. and so the, the primary series is basically no matter whether you're doing a simple asana a complex asana um, all start off with getting the structure right. Because when the structure is right, which is our physical growth body, what's actually happening is we're working deeper through the layers of the body to what I call the substructure. And, and, and so the second series, or intermediate, is, is called Nadi Shodana, which literally means the purification of the, um, the energy channels. Mm-hmm. If the energy channels are cleansed, what does that mean? It means that the energy is going to be flowing. And so, for me, the, the meaning of the term Navi Shodana is that there is a flow. So, first, you've got to get structure, foundation, and breath right. And when the structure, foundation, and breath is, 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 is aligned, so then does the energy body come into a line. And so... There's sort of like a, a, a metamorphosis that you could be a, a, a beginner practitioner and your practice is very therapy-based. It's very robotic. It's very really structural. It looks very almost robotic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then, yeah, and then as it develops, it will start to flow more. There'll be much more of a smooth transition in the way you enter and exit an asana. And then the third series, or the third principle, and I would call them more principles or attitudes, that the third um, level is called Sterabhaga, which basically means strength and grace. Now, strength and grace is what happens when, look at the structure, look at the flow. 
structure first, body foundation, breath, thunder. Then comes the pranic flow, so there's a fluidity in the way that the person moves. And then, out of that, when the, when we, what I saw in Derek was that inner focus. There was a, the, the mind was also very much in the moment of that movement, mm-hmm. or the moment of that posture, and that's grace. Yes. That's beautiful. So, yeah, so for me, the, the, the Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga system is not to be cut into segments, first, second, third. They're the principles of practice. And whether it's an, an advanced asana, you have to go right back to, to Kitsa, learn the basic foundations, how the bandha works, how the, 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 the structural body aligns to create space for the breath so the breath can be even, if the breath's even, then of course the breath, within the breath, the prana, the life force is going to be flowing. So there's your Nadi Shodhana. Mm. So, mm. And so, so even then within each series, they will build up um, a, a, a stage of how you get deeper into a posture because the one before has set the conditions. It's prepared the conditions for you to, to be able to then do the next variation of posture. Hmm. I'm just. I'm think. I'm thinking about um, what draws certain people, people to yoga. It seems like a large part of um, even as a, a yoga teacher is in in um, in everyday studio classes. Is sometimes students are drawn to different uh, flows and, and different stimuli and all of this, and there's so much merit in keeping a traditional um, sequence of postures. And I'm wondering, do you see this um, fad, for lack of a better terminology, changing in the future? Do you think that people will return to a traditional sequencing method? Well, the, the, the very essence of yoga is to reduce, 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 reduce all of the unnecessary chitta vritti. Mm-hmm. So chitta vritti is the fluctuating thoughts of mind. So any adaptations that we make, any changes we make, any, any uh, uh, additional flair that we put to it or any, any additional metaphorical language that we put to it, Eventually, we have to reduce, 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 and it just comes down to counting the breath. Mm. So in the Ashtanga Vinyasa method, the Vinyasa is a counted breath movement synchronicity. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's about counting in Sanskrit. So the Vinyasas are counted in Sanskrit, Ekam, Trini, Chitvari. And eventually, that can be considered as being a mantra. And what the mantra is doing is washing out all the unnecessary flair or, uh, um, uh, let's say, the, 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 the bubbles, the jangles, the, the, the glitter that we, that we can put on. And all of those, those characteristics that we add to it is personality and ego. Mm-hmm. And so the very essence of yoga itself is start to reduce, 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 reduce it down to just becoming to the breath steadiness, stillness, silence, focused mind. Mm. 
And then you can contemplate something like the moon. Or <laughs> 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 a bigger question, you can contemplate who you are. Yeah. Well, that's and ultimately, that's, that, that's the underlying or the underpinning reason that people end up in the yoga classes. On a subterranean level of their being, there's a question asking, who am I? Mm. And the only way we can find out who we are is to look, stop looking outside, being drawn outside, to turn all that focus inside, to drop into stillness and silence. Thank you for that answer. That was um, that was a great explanation. Um, we're going to take a short music break. Again, you can find John Scott at a workshop this coming weekend, December 7th, 8th, 9th and 10th at Ashtanga Yoga uh, Vancouver. <coughs> so you can go to the Ashtanga Yoga Vancouver website, which is ashtangayogavancouver.com to find out more details on that. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Drishti Point on Vancouver Cooperative Radio, 100.5 FM. I'm your host, Liana, and today we're talking to John Scott, who is uh, Ashtanga Vinyasa yoga teacher and um, also doing a workshop coming up this coming weekend in Vancouver. Welcome back, John. Good morning again, Liana. So we were talking about uh, Ashtanga sequencing um, and... Uh, more before the break. I'm wondering if you could touch a little upon what uh, your workshop this weekend is going to look like. Um, I take my my role as a yoga student practitioner to feature uh, serious in the sense that what what is the job of the teacher? And so when I go on workshops, that's basically what my mission statement is, is what is my job? What am I here doing? Mm. I'm presenting a a, a yoga seminar to yoga students. So what what is it that I'm actually presenting to them? And so that's why the the title is used, A Transformative Practice. If we just look at life in general, we go through an evolution. And the evolution that we go through, we could just... Uh, summarize this really quickly. As a baby, we're totally independent to our parents. Our parents guide us through the very young years and uh, they're giving us all the necessary tools and things along with school and and their peers to become independent. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm at the stage now where my son is 16, my daughter's 18, and I'm really looking for them to become really independent. And then eventually, they, they themselves will then evolve from being total dependency to independent to being dependable. Um, and if you have a look at your own evolution in life, where, where are we? At what stage are we at? <clears throat> are we independent or are we dependable? Or are we, in fact, totally dependent on the system? Hmm. So in terms of our community, you know, we don't want to be a drain, certainly as adults, uh, on the system. Mm -hmm. So within a yoga class, we can use the same uh, evolutionary three categories. A a beginner student is totally dependent on the teacher. 
Now, the teacher's job is to guide the student to become independent in their own journey of yoga. Mm-hmm. On the path to know what to do, how to do their practice, how to meet themselves, how to progress on their journey of life. I then am at that stage where I've taught, as I said, for 25 years, and so now what I'm doing is I'm now teaching students to become teachers. Mm -hmm. So I go right through the whole three levels of the evolutionary, you know, that little process there, that my students start off being totally dependent on me. My job is to then give them the tools, the techniques, the experience so that they can develop their independence. And then, for them to then know the practice so much so that they can then, from their experience, share their experience and become dependable, meaning that students can be depending on them. It's my belief that I've been given the gift of yoga mm-hmm. from Derek to Mhm. Joyce. My yoga is to then give that gift away. Mm-hmm. Yoga is not a gift to just hold to oneself. That, mm-hmm. as, as you know yourself, being a Hatha Yoga teacher, you are giving a gift to your students. Mm-hmm. And what more rewards can you have as a teacher when you then start seeing your students develop that level of independence and then dependability that they can then start helping other people also find themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so when I'm doing this workshop this coming weekend in Vancouver, I'm not going there to exercise the students. Mm-hmm. Yes, within the yoga practice, there definitely is some exercise. <laughs> physical exercise. But what I want them to be able to do is to become independent in the way it's sequenced, in the way and the knowledge of, of all of the, the chikitsa part, the structural part. Mm-hmm. I want them to become independent then to be able to flow through that structure. Mm. I then want to be in that place of, of grace where they are, they are absorbed totally in what they're doing, meaning they're not dependent on anybody else to be in that place. Mm-hmm. So, so, so a yoga practice is a practice that transcends the feel-good factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's important. Important. One of my best best friends or friends in the yoga uh, yoga world is, is David Svensson. And David Svensson will, will say, "Why am I doing this? Because it makes me feel good." Yeah. That's that's a really important stepping stone. We must feel good doing our yoga, but then we must take it to the next level. Yeah. It, it has to be something that 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 is more than a feel good factor. That it actually is a transformative practice, meaning you are evolving. You are either learning to be knowing yourself more and you're becoming to be more dependable in society and helping others also then begin to find themselves. Uh-huh. So the the title of your workshop is Opening the Doors to a Transformative Practice and this is what, what you've just told us is kind of the, the base of where that comes from. Yes. And I think... You mentioned, uh, one of my questions was, what doors can we open to get to a transformative practice? And I think that's what you just explained was, um, uh, being able to share that practice and move past the feel-good factor. 
to give the gift of yoga, yes. Yeah. That's the, if you, if you, when you give something away, you create space. Mm-hmm. And yoga is about creating that space. Mm-hmm. And so when you're given something, don't hold on to it. So when you say, what, you know, what, what do you think you could let go of? What doors do you want to let go of? Those ones where you hold on to the stuff for yourself. Because that's what the Western society is all about, more, mm-hmm. more, more, more. Mm-hmm. And, and we then have this instant gratification. We want more than we want it now. Yeah. When we're in that place, we're at, we, we, we are out of balance. Now, so we, we start to operate life and make life decisions from our senses. Mm-hmm. Because we, 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 the gratification of those senses is, is to want more of it. And that's, that's sort of how the system works out there, the Western consumers in society wants us to be in that place of wanting more. Yeah. So, so one, one of the ways, the secrets of yoga then is to shut that door. I'm not, I don't want any more. I'm going to give this away. And so when you start, when you start actually sharing yoga with others, what you then find is that you become more yogic yourself. You become more centered. You become more happy. You become more stable. You become more happy. Mm-hmm. And nothing makes us more happier than giving someone else a gift. Mm-hmm. Seeing someone else being happy. We know that if we just feed ourselves and feed ourselves and feed ourselves initially, it's quite gratifying. <laughs> but eventually when you start to feed somebody else, and you see how much joy that is. And today, my wife and I, Lisa and I, we actually went to a... a we were in town and we missed... Um, doing our own practice at home, so we, we went and bought some shorts from the uh, sports director. We went, and went into a hot yoga class. And um, we were talking to the teachers afterwards, and one of their students there said, I had an epic day today. I was able to move my arm this way mm. and this way. And to see the joy on the teachers' faces seeing their students being able to express that they had an epic day. <laughs> It was lovely to be a teacher, sort of like a fly-on-the-world type teacher, in someone else's class and just seeing how the students were responding to it. And it's about meeting yourself. And if you can, if you can introduce and give that space to other people to meet themselves, mm. then that's the door worth opening. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for... Um being with us today and for all your lovely answers. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, so I was wondering um, for our listeners if you could, uh, if you have any way of getting in contact with you for further information on workshops or any upcoming um, events that you'd like to talk about. Um, um, well, the, the, the forthcoming event is the one at uh, Vancouver Stranger, and I think you, you've given the listeners the um, the web address for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my web address is just simply johnscottyoga.com mm-hmm. and I teach with my wife here in um, Cornwall, England, southwest England. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a, a very small yoga studio where we limit the class to maximum 10 people. Mm-hmm. We prefer to do eight. Mm-hmm. Um, 25 years ago, we were one of eight with the Tybee Joyce, which was rather special. Wow. And... Um, that's our model. We, we, 
not only are we trying to teach as, as traditionalists to the joists, we're also trying to keep the numbers uh, the same as well. Um, and because I, I, I'm very lucky that I have got that amount of experience behind me and started when it was very new in the West to have an international name that people actually then travel to us internationally to work with us in a, in a very intimate one-to-one uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be one, be one of eight people is, is quite a special treat in today's yoga classes. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you again. Um, so, did you have something else to no, say? No, I, 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 yeah, our website's very modest. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we don't advertise very much. Um, it's more about the recommendation that's, that's most important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that people that have had experience with us pass that on. And so um, the, the only advice that I would give listeners is to to um, really enjoy connecting to the breath and being in the moment of that breath, bringing all of the senses to the sensation of breath. Mm. And uh, it opens up a, a, a very interesting um, place within the mind. I call it eclipsing oneself. Eclipsing oneself? Yeah, like a solar eclipse. Yeah. But most of the time we're just thinking from the head. And if you think about a solar eclipse, the alignment is the sun, the moon, the earth. Mm. And I, I correlate those. The sun is the head, the moon is the heart and the earth is the pelvis. And when you sit erect and get that alignment correct, where the centre of the head, centre of the heart, centre of the pelvis are in line, you eclipse yourself. Mm. And so rather than being in your head in terms of thought, you're, you're operating more from the heart-mind. Mm-hmm. And it shines from your heart. So if you were to be sitting on earth while there's a solar eclipse, you'll see that there's a nimbus or a halo of light around the shadow of the moon as it as it comes in front of the sun, blocking blocking the sun's light. Well, when your heart comes into line, what you're doing is you're blocking the conditioned thoughts, the heart-mind comes together, and you start to operate from your core. The core of your being, being love. Hmm. That's a beautiful um, way to wrap up the interview. Thank you for that. You're very well. And it seems so... Um, simple when you say it like that which is also beautiful um thank you so much for being on the show and again uh for our listeners you can go to the ashtanga vancouver um ashtanga yoga vancouver.com uh the ashtanga vancouver website to learn more about john scott's upcoming workshops this weekend and thank you for listening today uh have a great evening Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.